blessings. But going off in a little bit of a different stream tonight, I want to talk about the need for honest self-awareness. Um, of honest self-evaluation. I cannot begin to stress to you the importance of being self-aware and of being able to accurately evaluate where you are in the Lord. Um, The ability to be honest with yourself and saying, I might like to think that I'm better than where I'm Uh, than where I am right now, that I'm in a different position, but the reality is this is where I really stand with the Lord. Let me just ask you, and just in your mind, think about this, this. Um, but let me just ask you, how well do you know yourself? I mean, seriously, how well do you know yourself? I think that all of us would, would probably say, well, I have a pretty good grip on who I am and and where I stand before the Lord right now. But I just want you to be honest. How well do you know yourself? Um, How well do you know what you do? And how well do you know why you do it? You might be aware of what you do, but do you know why you do it? How well do you know what you say? How well do you know why you say it? Um, How well do you know how you speak to people? And how well do you know why you speak to people the way that you do? How well do you know what you think? Have you ever really stopped to consider what you set your mind upon each and every day? And do you know why you set your mind on those things? Um, Let me ask you this, right from the Word of God. Do you know the sins that so easily besets you, as it reads in the book of Hebrews. Um, All of us have sins in our life that we are more susceptible to than others. There are some of you that you could never, never be tempted in one area, but you are extremely vulnerable in another area of your life. Do you know what your besetting sins are? And do you know where the door to that besetting sin actually opened up? Were you a teenager? Were you in, were you in kindergarten when that door was opened? At what point did that besetting sin come in? And do you know when you are more likely to fall into that sin? Do you know when you are more vulnerable? Do you recognize when you are, are being tempted in that? And have you ever really considered why it is that at other times it seems easier to deal with than at others, and there are other times that it is just absolutely detrimental to you? With that, let me ask you, do you know what the weight Uh, in your life is that although not necessarily sinful these are weights that in fact are are keeping us from building any momentum in our walk with the Lord because they weigh us down are you aware of things that waste your time are you aware of how much time you waste watching television Um, just hanging out with friends How aware are you? How often do you really sit down and evaluate your life? It's mighty quiet here tonight. Honestly, honestly, how well is your relationship with the Lord at this moment? If you were to rank your walk with the Lord from 1 to 10, 1 being, man, I am just one step away from being backslidden, to 10, that I can hear the glory bells you know, ringing in my ears right now. Okay, on a scale of 1 to 10, how well is your relationship with the Lord right now? And with that, why do you feel that way? Why do you feel your relationship is that far off or is that excellent? What, what are you basing that on? Those are just some questions I could ask. Are you aware of how much time you spend in prayer or how little time 
you spend in prayer? Are you aware of how much you read the Word of God with understanding and how much you read just because you have to read it, but you're not really growing in your understanding? You know, I don't believe that it is possible, personally, to overstate the importance of honest self-awareness and self-evaluation. I don't believe it. it's possible to overstate that. Some people might disagree with me, but I just have really been thinking about that. In fact, I, I shared it with the staff maybe a month ago, and I, I just said I've really been thinking about that. How well do we evaluate our life, and how often do we evaluate our life? Are we aware of what makes us tick? Are we aware of what causes us to be angry, of what causes us great joy? What are you aware of the burden of the Lord? Are you aware and sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit so much that the moment that you offend Him, you can feel that? You can feel yourself drifting from Him. You know, we often talk about the gift of discernment, the spiritual gift of discernment. And we know that that is one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. And it's actually the discerning of what? Say it if you know it. Spirits. It's the discerning of spirits. It's not just the gift of discernment. It is discerning of spirits. And l let's be honest, whenever we think of discerning of spirits, we immediately think of discerning demonic spirits and walk into a room and, and ooh, I can tell that there's a demonic spirit afoot a here. But you're a spirit living in a physical body. Turn to your neighbor and tell them you are a spirit. You are a spirit that just lives right now temporarily in a physical body and so the discerning of spirits would not be just discerning evil spirits it would even be discerning your spirit the spiritual gift of discernment can be used through the Holy Spirit in evaluating ourselves through the Word of God and correctly and accurately critiquing ourselves before Him. Not for the, 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 the pleasure of being critical, but literally being critical in the sense of where I stand before the Lord. I'm going to tell you, the ability to identify where we are right now, where we are going, the path that we are currently on, and the ultimate destination that we will arrive at based entirely upon not our intentions, but rather the direction that we're heading in is absolutely vital because once you arrive there, there's no turning back. Can I tell you that? Like being able right now to accurately determine where I am, the path that I'm on, and where I'm going to arrive if I stay on this path is vital because once I arrive, there's no turning back. There's only consequences or rewards. So how well, how often do you evaluate your life? How aware are you of where you stand before the Lord? And then, to complicate matters, you have to add to that the ability to do that on every level of life. Your marital life, your financial life, your relational life, your personal life, your vocational life, your emotional, spiritual, parental, and even your eternal life. You have to be able to evaluate all of those things, to be aware of where you stand as a husband or as a wife, as a son, as a daughter, as a child of the living God. Where do I stand financially? Where do I stand relationally? How am I in every area of my life that is a skill and it is not a skill that you can learn in a classroom it is a skill that can only be developed to the Spirit of God because you don't know yourself that well you may think you do but only the Spirit of God can show you who you really are and where you really stand with him now again, some of you might say, well, I, I don't know that I think that this is really that important, Pastor Kerr, but I would want you to consider with me some very telling verses 
First of all, I'd have you consider with me. And again, I'm going to be using a lot of scriptures tonight, so I would just encourage you to write down these texts and maybe some notes as the Lord lays them upon your heart just so that you can meditate on them. But just consider for a moment the words of James, the half-brother of Jesus, who said in James 1, verses 22 through 25, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. Listen, deceiving yourselves. Deceiving yourselves, that is self-awareness. What he's saying is, it is possible to not be aware of where you truly are. Deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the Word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately he forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. I don't know if that causes anyone else alarm, but here James introduces us to the dreadful possibility of actually seeing ourselves for who we are through the light of Scripture and then, listen to this, immediately forget the kind of man or woman that we are and depart without ever addressing that in our lives. He likens it to someone who looks into the mirror, sees a blemish, sees something that needs a little touch-up, that needs a little bit of makeup, and just walks away and says, I'm going to forget about it. And he says the same thing happens on a spiritual level. We open up the Word of God and we say, wow, I need to address that. I need to change that. I need to be different. But we walk away forgetting it, feeling conviction, and actually being satisfied with being convicted but never following through conviction doesn't change anything in fact conviction that is not acted upon is just further rebellion against God understand this is not just a passing thought in scripture this is well established for those of you, again, that would think it's not a big deal, it is well established. Jesus told His disciples in Luke chapter 21 and verse 34, Take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, drunkenness, and cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. Whenever I read that, I, I'm immediately taken back to my senior year in high school. I, I don't like saying this because I don't want you to, to think that I'm bragging about it. God had to deliver us all from sin. He just didn't have to deliver me from this particular sin. But I have never had a drink of alcohol in my life. I have no idea what intoxication feels like. It's just not a part of my story. It was never in my house on either side of my family. So I just never grew up with any kind of alcohol. So I've never had a taste. I've never been intoxicated. Again, does that mean that God didn't have to save me? I can tell you that there were plenty of other sins that God had to save me from, but that was just not one of them. But I will never forget my senior year in high school on a band trip to Orlando on the last night of our trip with three other guys, and I watched them as they bought two packs, or not two packs, two cases of beer, and I watched them as they made their journey from sobriety to intoxication. I had never seen that before, and I just sat there. To me, it was comical just watching them because they had absolutely no idea that the transformation was occurring. They were just drinking and numb to it, and I just watched them as they left sobriety and went into drunkenness, and I've never forgotten that because this is what Jesus was warning the church against. Not physical drunkenness, but a spiritual drunkenness where all of us can become so intoxicated with the world and all that is in this world that appeals to the lust of our flesh, the lust of our eyes, and the pride of life, entertainment, and all that is in this world, we can become so intoxicated to it that we're absolutely unaware that the judgment of Christ is coming. And he said, for that reason, take heed to yourself. Be self-aware. Evaluate where you are with the Lord, for it will come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the whole earth. Watch, 
therefore, and pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape all these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. In Paul's first letter to the church in Corinth, which was actually his second letter, he reminded them that communion in its purest sense was a time to let a man examine himself and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. In what we refer to as the second letter that he wrote to the Corinthians, but was actually his fourth letter to them, he wrote, examine yourselves as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you unless indeed you are disqualified? And he says, how would you know if you were disqualified unless you examine yourself to see whether you are in the faith? Test yourself. Those aren't my words. Those are the words of Paul. A thousand years before that was ever written, King David wrote in Psalm 26 and verse 2, Examine me, O Lord, and prove me. Try my mind and my heart. He would go further in Psalm 119 and verse 59 and say, I thought about my ways and turned my feet to your testimonies. Famously in Psalm 139 and verse 23, he said, Search me, O God, I love when God <laughs> just says, listen, <laughs> search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. It's interesting that many years later, um, David's son, Solomon, in a time of of backsliding and and in a time where he's reconsidering his ways he writes in lamentations 3 and verse 40 let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the lord after an earlier warning of some departing from the lord and giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons paul encouraged timothy to let no one despise his youth but to be an example to the believers in word and conduct and love and spirit and faith and purity he said till i come timothy give attention to reading to exhortation to doctrine do not neglect the gift that is in you which was given to you by prophecy with a laying on of the hands of the eldership. Meditate on these things. Give yourself entirely to them that your progress may be evident to all. Take heed to yourself and to the doctrine. Continue in them for in doing this you will save both yourself and those who hear you. As I read that a couple of weeks ago, I, I just thought if there was ever a portion of Scripture that really speaks to this uh, whole idea of self-evaluation and self-awareness, here it is. He's saying to, Paul, uh, to Timothy, Timothy, let no one despise your youth. I think you could expand that and say, be aware of how old you are and never cease to be an example to all the believers. Be aware of reading the Scriptures, of exhorting one another in the Word of God into the doctrine. Do not neglect the gift that is upon you. Be aware of the gifts that were given to you when the elders laid their hands upon you and the prophecies that went out over your heart and your life. Meditate upon these things and give yourself entirely to them. Be aware that your progress would become so evident to all that they know that you are a man of God. Take heed to yourself. Pay attention to the doctrine. Continue in them. Listen to this. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. I am really convicted when I read that last part. Continue in them. For in doing this, say this part with me, you will save both yourself and those who hear you. Wow. As I read that last night before I went to bed, I thought that is so reminiscent of what I read in Proverbs 10 and verse number 17 where he says, He who heeds instruction and correction is not only himself in the way of life, but also is a way of life for others. 
And he who neglects or refuses reproof not only himself goes astray, but also causes to err and is a path toward ruin for others. So when you look at those two verses, you can see how self-awareness and self-evaluation not only affects us, but it affects others. It affects our spouse. It affects our children. It affects our church, our church family. It, it affects our coworkers. It, it affects anyone who is watching us, anyone who is listening to us. Even if they're unsaved, they look at you as one who bears the name of Jesus Christ and all of a sudden you realize that this is why my ability to evaluate where I really am in the Lord and my awareness and my relationship with Him is so vital. It's not only affecting me, it's affecting everyone that's watching me. Because if I am someone who is negligent and I refuse the reproof of Scripture, I'm not only going astray, but I'm causing others to err and I'm a path toward ruin for others who are following my example. Conversely, he says that one who heeds the instruction and the correction of the Word of God is not only himself in the way of life, but actually becomes a way of life for others. Wow. Tell me that you are not your brother's keeper. Remember what Paul famously said, follow me as I follow Christ. You know what he was saying? He was saying, listen, I know starting out following Christ who you've never seen is very difficult, but I am so confident in my walk with God that I can say, follow my example. And along the way, you'll know how to follow Jesus Christ. How confident are you in your relationship with the Lord that you could look at someone who's never met the Lord and say, listen, just follow me. Just follow me. I'll show you how to pray. I'll show you how to live a godly life. I'll show you how to love your wife like Christ loves the church. I'll show you how to respect your husband as you would Jesus Christ. How confident in your walk with the Lord are you that you could look at someone and say to them, follow me as I follow Jesus Christ. I hope by now you understand that this is a very significant issue. That, that being able to truly evaluate your life before the Lord and being aware of where you stand with Him is of vital importance. And as I see it, and we're going to keep this as simple as we possibly can today, there are two necessities that we must possess in our heart if we are going to evaluate ourselves correctly and accurately um, at least two I'm not saying that it's exhaustive okay but there are at least two that you must have two that are non-negotiable and I'd like to share them very quickly with you here number one you must have the Word of God as your objective standard if you are going to evaluate yourself properly, if you are going to truly be aware of where you stand before the Lord, you must, you must, you must have the Word of God as your objective standard. Objective meaning that it is not subject to your particular interpretation. Objective in that it is above your opinion and my opinion and is an unchanging truth. You must have the Word of God as your objective standard to measure yourself against. And that is seen back in James, he says, but he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful here, but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. So even here, James says that you have to look into the perfect law of liberty and continue in it. The idea is that of continually going back to the Word of God and making adjustments in your life. Not forgetting the Word of God, but doing it. This one is blessed in all that he does. As I read that, I was reminded again of what it says in Proverbs 14 and verse number 8 in the Amplified Version. He says, the, the wisdom, godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and purposes of God, 
of the prudent is to understand his way, but the folly of self-confident fools is to deceive. Listen to that again. The wisdom, godly wisdom, which is comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God, of the prudent, is to understand His way, but the folly of self-confident fools is to deceive. Let's just break that down really quickly. I love how the Amplified draws out and identifies what true wisdom is. Wisdom is not a philosophy. Wisdom is not a collection of of thoughts that we adhere to. Wisdom is comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God. And that can only be accessed through the Holy Spirit. A wise Christian is a man or a woman who says all of my choices and all of my decisions, everything that I say, everything that I meditate upon is going to be filtered through the ways and the purposes of Almighty God. I'm going to take the comprehensive insight that I have on the ways and the purposes of God and I am going to use it as the filter for all of my choices. And he says here that the very first thing that a prudent man does with that comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God, and a prudent man, let's be honest, that is not a word that we use very often today. In fact, when we do use the word prudent, let's be honest, we we use it negatively. She's such a prude. We, We use it negatively. A prudent man literally is one who thinks consistently about and cares only about the future. And the idea is I'm making all of my choices and all of my decisions right now based upon where I want to be in the future. It doesn't matter whether this is expedient right now. It doesn't matter whether this satisfies me, whether it gratifies me right now. That is not even what I'm considering. I'm considering where I want to be in the future. And so I'm going to make my choices and my decisions based upon my future right now. And what he says is that a prudent man uses the insight that he has of the ways and the purposes of God, listen, to understand himself. He wasn't talking about understanding God. He's saying, I'm going to use this comprehensive insight into the ways and the purposes of God that I possess through the Holy Spirit to evaluate myself to understand my ways to understand why I do what I do why I say what I say and the better way that he has called me to live if I want to be accurate I can't sit down and evaluate myself the way I see it because you will always judge yourself on a curve can I hear an amen you always will We're always going to paint ourselves out to be better than we think we are. It's just the tendency of man. Listen, if I take an exam, I can leave that exam feeling really good about it. I can say, you know what? I think I really did a good job. Like, I really studied for this, and as, I'm, as I went through it, it just seemed like it fell into place, and I, and I knew every answer, and I feel really good about my test. But it's not until my test is compared to the answer key that I know the truth, that I see how well I did. And I can tell you that I can feel good about my walk with the Lord. You can feel really good about your walk with the Lord. You can say, man, I have never felt better about my relationship with Jesus. We are so close. We are so tight. We are buds. This is lit. We're great. And I know that I'm just where I need to be with the Lord. I can come up with a very subjective standard that I have invented in my own mind. And I can declare to myself, I am right with Jesus. But it's not until I've compared myself with this book that I see the truth. From Genesis to Revelation, I have an answer key. And when I stand before the Lord, He is not going to judge me by what I thought was right, by what seemed right to me, but what has been revealed in the Word of God. You see that so perfectly played out in the life of Isaiah. Isaiah 6 and verse number 1 Isaiah says, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord 
sitting on a throne high and lifted up. And the train of his robe filled the temple. The train of his robe is, is really speaking of his glory. The glory of God filled the temple. And angels began to cry out. And they said to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And to this, Isaiah said, Woe is me, for I am undone. Because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For, because my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. In other words, Isaiah was never able to properly assess his life. He was never able to really evaluate where he stood before the Lord until he actually saw the glory of God. And then looking into the glory of God, he said, Woe is unto me. I am a man of unclean lips, dwelling in the midst of a people of unclean lips. And the reality is, until I have seen the glory of God revealed through this, will I ever be able to evaluate who I truly am as I stand before Him? And I need that, because Proverbs 14, verse number 12, one of several scriptures in the book of Proverbs tells me that there's a way that seems right to me, but its end is the way of death. This would explain the sobering words that Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount when he said, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord. And he says, not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, is coming in, but those who do the will of the Lord. Because many of them are going to say, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. We, we healed in your name. We preached in your name. We did serve week in your name. We did day of hope in your name. And Jesus says, so what? I never knew you. You never evaluated yourself to this. You came up with your standard and you lived by that. But I'm not judging you by my standard. I'm judging you by mine. That's why Paul, I, I would assume, said to Timothy in 2 Timothy 2, verse 15, study be eager and do your utmost to present yourself to God approved, tested by trial, a workman who has no cause to be ashamed. When he stands before the Lord is the inference there because they've correctly analyzed and accurately divided, rightly handled, and skillfully taught the word of truth. Now, obviously, this is written to pastors, and, and this is something that we remind ourselves often of, but how many of you know you should all be students of the Word of God? And don't ever think, please, don't ever think that only those who have doctorates and only those who have masters and those who have gone to Bible college and those who use big fancy words are the only ones that can understand the Bible. Folks, this is the most important book that was ever given to man. The most important. Eternal matters are here. Why would God make this hard to understand? I think that a lot of times we want to be called doctors and we want to walk around. Not that I'm against any of that. You know, I probably should go back to school myself. But listen. The reality is a lot of times we do that for job security. We want you to think that we know more than you do. Folks, listen. Yes, we need pastors to help us and to guide us and to set you know, a, a direction for the church, but the same Holy Spirit that abides in me is the same Holy Spirit that abides in every Spirit-filled believer, and you can understand this book. A lot of times when we say, I don't understand it, it's just nothing but laziness can I just be honest with you we should all be students of the word of God and eager to present ourselves to God approved not being ashamed when we stand before the Lord because we took the time to rightly divide the scriptures and apply it to our lives and live the way that God called us to live in Jesus name he then warns us to avoid all empty vain useless, idle talk because it just leads people into more and more ungodliness. Wow. How often do we just get together 
and just laugh it up, yak it up, talk about the sports, how bad the Phillies are, you know, how good the Eagles are going to be this year, pipe dreams and everything else, fairy tales and myths. You know, we just go on and on and on and on and on and on and on. And he says, you know what all that does? It just leads to more ungodliness. As we see the day approaching, spend time together holding each other to the Word of God, holding each other accountable, building each other up in Scripture. And I'm not saying, please don't misunderstand me, I love getting together with people and talking about all the other stuff, but at some point I want my conversation to come back to the most important thing. How are you doing with Jesus today? Secondly, You need the Word of God to be that objective standard. Measure yourself against the Scriptures. But number two, honesty. Honesty. Those are the only two things that I really see are of absolute necessity for proper evaluation. The Word of God and honesty. I have to be willing to face the truth with honesty and with absolute humility. I cannot make an excuse for myself. He tells us there in James, be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. And I have told you, the worst deception is self-deception. Write that down. Never forget it. The worst deception is self-deception. It's not the enemy's deception you've got to be most concerned with. It is your self-deception. And James says, anyone that just hears the word and says, boy, i got to work at that, but never does, they're deceiving themselves. They just will not be honest and say, I need to change. We read it again in, in that, I would say, parallel verse in Proverbs. The, fall, the folly excuse me, of self-confident fools is to deceive the foolishness of self-confident fools. And again, and I just like to reiterate this every time we use that word, because, you know, Jesus said if you call somebody fool, then you are in danger of hellfire. And so it almost sounds contradictory because you can't read the book of Proverbs without them calling people fools. The difference is when Jesus said if you call a man a fool, it is mocking them. It is, it is attacking their intelligence. You're calling them a fool. The Bible uses the word fool when it describes a man as a rebel. He's talking about a man who foolishly, rebelliously resists the word of God. And he says the folly, the foolishness of self-confident rebels and fools is to deceive themselves. So they put on a front for not only others, but for themselves. They deceive themselves. They, They deceive themselves into believing that they are something that they are not. And I will never be able to evaluate myself until I read the prophetic words of Scripture speaking directly to my heart and hear them as Nathan spoke to David, you are the man. That's why we always say in Proverbs, this is not a time for you to apply these scriptures to someone else. This is what God is saying to you. What is God saying to your heart? It is me who stands in need of prayer. Can we face it with honesty? How many of you read your proverb today? Let me see your hands. Thank you for your honesty. I mean, some of you could have just said, oh, I did. (laughs) There are four of us that did today. If you read your proverb today, Proverbs 7, of course, is famously the... um, the day when King Solomon looks out through the latticework of his house and he sees a young man wandering through the street when he is met by a married woman who is a very well-known adulteress in her town and she entices the young man and I love again how the Amplified draws this out. Listen to it. He, uh, Proverbs 7 beginning at verse 21 with much justifying and enticing argument she persuades him with the allurements of her lips she leads him to overcome his conscience and his fears and forces him along. Suddenly, 
He yields and follows her reluctantly like an ox moving to the slaughter, like one in fetters going to the correction to be given to a fool, or like a dog enticed by food to the muzzle, till a dart of passion pierces and inflames his vital organs, then like a bird fluttering straight into the net, he hastens, not knowing that it will cost him his life. The thing is, you don't need a woman to tell you that. You can tell yourself that. That you can look at the Word of God and you can see exactly what the Word of God requires of you, but then with much justifying and enticing arguments, you persuade yourself that that doesn't apply to you. That if God knew your story, then He would understand why that doesn't apply to your particular situation. You will find a way to justify what you want to do. You will use every enticing argument to persuade you that that is not what God meant. That cannot be what the Scriptures meant to say to me. And you will allure yourself with your own lips. You will lead yourself to overcome your own conscience, your fears, and you will force yourself along until you finally yield to what you want, not knowing that it will cost you your Some people would just say at this point, well, Pastor Kurt, okay, we need honesty, but what about humility? Don't we need humility? Well, yes, and you could put that as a third one, but the reality is it takes all the humility you can muster up to be honest with a scriptural analysis of the true condition of your heart. It takes humility to say, I am the man, and I'm the one that needs to be changed. And the reason is because God said to Jeremiah in Jeremiah 17 in verse number 9, the heart is deceitful above all things. It's desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doing. I think that that is one of the most frightening scriptures in the Bible. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? The reality is our hearts are so deceitful. They are so desperately wicked that we can convince ourselves that we are in a better place than what we really are. And God says, because of that, I am the only one that can truly search out your heart and test your mind. I'm reminded of what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 20 and verse 6. Most men will proclaim each his own goodness, but who can find a faithful man? Wow. Most of us will sit around and we will. I mean, I, I think, you know, I'm probably preaching a little bit more to the choir here tonight, but most, most everyone would say, you know what, I, I have my flaws and, you know, I have my mistakes, but I think overall I'm good. The Lord says, who can really find a faithful man? I can find many people that will proclaim their own goodness, but a faithful man, that's another story. And so I would close this out again with what David said in Psalm 139. In verse 1, he opens this incredible psalm up with these words, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows who you are. He knows who I am. He is absolutely aware of the condition of my heart before him. He knows me. Nothing's hidden from him. And as David goes through that incredible psalm, and you know it, he says, you know, if I make my bed in heaven, you are there. If I descend into hell, you are there. Nothing is hidden from you. He just goes on. Everything is known. Even before a word falls off of my lips, you know it because it was in my heart. I mean, he, he just says, I can't possibly hide anything from you. So I'm going to close out these words with this. Search me, O God. And know my heart. Try me. Know my anxieties. See if there's any wicked way in me. 
and then lead me in the way everlasting. Self-awareness and self-evaluation cannot be done apart from the Holy Spirit. Because apart from the Holy Spirit, again, you and I will always lean more into excusing ourselves. But we need to be aware. We are living in very frightening days. When, when I was at general counsel, and I won't draw a lot of attention to this, but it, there was something that was said from the pulpit that I found deeply, deeply grievous. But maybe what was more deeply grievous to me is the number of pastors that had absolutely no problem with the statement. And I, I thought, does anybody really study the Word of God anymore? Does anyone really wait upon God? And not that I'm perfect. And, and it, it just, but it reminded me of how, of how lazy we have become. And we will embrace anything without any real thought. Folks, please. Are you aware of where you stand with the Lord today? Have you evaluated yourself properly? Paul stood right before that Corinthian church and he commanded them. He didn't suggest. He said, you need to examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. Don't just assume anything because once we arrive in eternity, there's no turning around. And I don't say that to frighten. I just say that to be, to, to warn, to just say, please, know your heart before the living God Almighty. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Can you just take a moment right there? Just turn your, your chair into a, an altar. And can you just say as David, search me, O God. Know my heart. Just pray, Lord, search me. Precious Lord, Father of Heaven, nothing is hidden from You, and, and um, You know our hearts better than we know ourselves, and that's why we come to You, because we cannot properly assess our heart before you without the help of your Holy Spirit and without um, the proper understanding of Scripture. And even that can only be made possible through the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was reminding us in, in 1 Corinthians 2, that these things are spiritually discerned. 
even as we, we try to work through the scriptures, if it's only in our natural mind, it will be to us as foolishness. It is only when it is spiritually discerned that it has an impact upon us. So, Lord, we are absolutely dependent upon you. And so, Lord, the only thing that we can do is humble ourselves before you and ask for the courage to be completely honest when we see the true state of our heart revealed through the word of the Lord. That is the beauty of Scripture, is that it is a sharp, two-edged sword it's quick, it's living, it's powerful. It is dividing asunder the soul and the spirit. It's an excellent discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Nothing is hidden from you. And Lord, I, I know that this is a, a more challenging word, but, but, but Lord, it, it's not being delivered from you to because you're mad, because you're angry. It is, it is being done just so that we will always evaluate where we stand with you. Lord, we, we want to have that sensitivity to your presence, so sensitive that, that we are as, as Christ on the cross who knew the exact moment that the presence of the Father had turned from him and cried out, my God, why have you forsaken me? We want to be that sensitive that we would know the moment that we've grieved you, the moment that we have quenched you so that we can quickly deal with it and, and come back into that proper place with you. Lord, we, we recognize the days that we are living in, the evil that we contend with. And Lord Jesus, so many of us, including myself, we allow for the flesh. We allow for things that grieve the spirit and we find a way to excuse it. May we excuse it no more. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. May we treat our bodies as that temple and bring nothing into it that would defile your presence. Jesus, help us, guide us, I pray. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Love you, everybody. Have a good evening.